0: Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. I'm Peter Jay. Join us now as we share and enjoy musings and moments as told by the authors themselves. Let's meet our writers for today's program. Hi, I'm Sue Wade. Hi, I'm Bill Wiley.
1: Hi, this is Kathy Salzberg. Hello, I'm Clarice Cargill. Hi, I'm Carol Belcher.
0: Hi, I'm Alice Judge. Hi, I'm Joe Ewald.
2: Hi, I'm Faith Flaherty.
0: Thank you all for bringing your stories and joining us today and with us to guide our festivities, proceedings, going forward once again, the inimitable, you are inimitable, Sue Wade.
2: Hi, I think our first reader shall be Faith Flaherty. Hi, I have a story that was written a a few years ago. This group, um, the Scribblers from the Senior Center, was invited by Dean College to take part in a memoir writing workshop. What is interesting about this is the instructor happened to come from the same town I did. So my writings were always familiar to her. And this one in particular, and I'll continue talking about that after, there's a comment after I finish this, um, that she made that is pertinent. Here's the story. The Ragman. I'm going to sell you to the Ragman for a nickel. I knew my dad was only teasing me, but just in case, whenever I saw or heard the Ragman, I headed for the woods. I didn't want to take any chances. As soon as I heard his tired song, Rags! Rags for sale! My heart dropped to my stomach. A quick look to ascertain the situation how far along the street he was. Then I'd take off at a run towards the wood. That man was scary. First of all, he rode in a wagon pulled by a horse. This was 1950s. Everyone had cars, but he used a horse? Second, I never could understand what he was yelling or why he was using that horse. I think he called out, rags, rags for sale. I imagine he was speaking a foreign language because he looked like my idea of a foreigner. He was a skinny, bent-over, wizened old man with a dark, wide-brimmed hat pulled down over his face. I think he had a mustache. Don't all bad guys have mustaches? Third, he had a thin, short whip, which he sharply snapped. That whip cracked like a shot I don't know if he just whipped it in the air or whipped it on the horse. I was never close enough to examine that maneuver. Lastly, it took so long for him to come down my dead-end street. Then he stayed for a while at the end, turning the wagon around to trot ever so slowly back up the street. It seemed like the world stopped when the ragman made his route. I'd climb a tree to scout the area. I'd watch his horse trudge along. The song, rags, rags for sale, would bleat out. The whip would snap. My eyes would blink in response to each crack. I'd watch his progress to the end of the street. His turnaround lasted forever. I think I mild words talking to the horse, coaxing him to turn. That's it. Turn. Turn. Go home. Finally... Away they went. Rags, rags for snail. Snap, crack. Rags, rags for sale. Snap, crack. Rags, rags for sale. Shh. I'd listen. Finally, I could breathe. He's gone. I was safe. I was free. The rag man didn't buy me for a nickel. After I read that, the instructor said to me, that was my grandfather.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. oh!
2: And what did you say? Nothing. Everybody laughed, and, and I, didn't, I was just too embarrassed. Uh-huh. And I looked over what I said to see if I said anything really <laughs> oh, you, <laughs> derogatory. At or, the eyes oh, of a little girl. wow. Yeah. She, she admitted <laughs> that she herself was afraid of him. Yeah, he was an oh. immigrant from Russia. They were Russian Jews, and oh, okay. he never spoke well, you know, and he kept to himself. Yeah, yep.
0: yeah. Absolutely. So, Sue,
4: who do we have next on the docket?
5: Ne- Our next reader shall be Joe Ewald.
4: Hi, I'm Joe Ewald, and the name of my story is The Mystery of the Misdiagnosis. Oh, <laughs> 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 Yeah, this is... uh. Not as light as uh, Faith's story was. Um, About two and a half years ago, I was sick with what I thought was ammonia. I was having the usual symptoms of difficulty breathing and the constant coughing that usually accompanies it. I did not think it was a big deal. I had had experience with ammonia before. 14 years earlier, I was in the hospital for 17 days. The ammonia in my chest was the size of an average fist. It was the sickest I have ever been in my life. I wasn't going to die, but close enough for a Monsignor to come in and give me the sacrament of the sick. It was also the time I had quit smoking after 28 years. So the fast forward back to the future, when I was sick again, I had no fears in going to the hospital to get treated. I was in the emergency room of a hospital that will remain nameless. I had the usual x-ray and CAT scan, and I was waiting for the ER doctor to tell me the results. I wasn't ready for what happened next. I should have known something wasn't right when he took me to a room, closed the door, and told me, I had lung cancer, and I had one year to live. As quickly as he told me, he left the room just as quickly. (laughs) I can't really describe my reaction. I just knew I wouldn't wish it on anybody else. I know I did not play the blame game and ask myself, why me? No, I decided the best way to play it was to meet it head on. I was going to fight back. So, I was admitted to the hospital for further testing. My family was notified and we quickly decided on a game plan to deal with my situation. My brothers, Pete and Tim, and with myself, decided that when I left the hospital, we were going to the Dana-Farber Institute of Cancer. Must remind my listeners that it was an ER doctor that surmised that it was cancer from the X-ray and CAT scan. He was not an expert. It was also a little funny that when I was in the hospital, they never called in an expert. Then it finally dawned on me after three days to ask them to call one in. When they did, he came in, looked at my CAT scan, and declared I did not have cancer, but a major chest infection. So three days, I thought I had one year to live. To say I was happy is definitely an understatement. I think I was more happier that I had good news to tell my relatives. I was started on antibiotics, which take three days to work, and was released from the hospital on my 60th birthday. As an afterthought to the ordeal I just went through, I wonder in that the three days of thinking that I had cancer that somehow divine intervention had happened to me therein lies the mystery of the diagnosis
6: Unbelievable Yeah, I mean,
4: yeah it, was, it was like when I was told I was like crushed <laughs> Oh, yeah. To you know, know. say the least. And
6: the ER an doctor would do that.
4: Yeah. And well, and did you late.
7: go back to him or did the specialist go back to him? I, I and complained. Say,
4: yeah, I I could have. I could have. Uh, yeah,
7: yeah, I could have, but yeah. I didn't.
4: I was just so happy that I didn't have it. Yeah. Sure. I didn't yeah. really care about pursuing. <laughs> yeah. um, but
7: A perhaps of, he should. Uh, yeah. Some doctors should have told him to go back to his. No, but but books.
4: The, but the doctors that w- were taking care of me when I was admitted were, were backing this doctor's yeah, claim up. Oh, yeah,
2: they
4: were. Yeah, big time. And told the expert, uh, and then the expert. I said, well, what what happened to the expert? I'm thinking there. Three days later, so I asked, you know, can you guys call him in? And he came in that night looked at it and said I had a major chest infection. And the other doctors were kind of like disagreeing with him and saying, well, you should have a biopsy. Mm. And I decided not to. I decided just to keep on taking the antibiotics. And sure enough, in two weeks, the expert was right.
0: So, Sue, moving along, who do we have up next?
5: Our next reader is Alice Judge.
7: I'm going to read a story about one of my dogs. I love dogs, and this dog, Pookie, was the last one I had before 14 years ago when I got Jem. So I'll be writing a story about Jem, I'm sure. But here is my story about Pookie, the best of the breed. My husband, Leo, said he's the best of the breed. I thought he was cute, made me laugh, but most of all, he was good company. Who am I talking about? Well, my adorable black and white 10-pound shih tzu, of course, with the greatest of names, Pookie. I can't take credit for the name. His first owner was a creative one. Pookie was five years old when I first saw him. I had called a local shelter and described the type of dog I wanted, a small lap dog, good personality, and already trained. The woman on the other end of the line told me about such a dog, ...whose owner was giving her pet away. Her daughter and granddaughter were coming to live with her. The little one was crawling... ...and the owner thought Pookie, failing territorial... ...might object to the baby on his turf. The next moment I was calling the woman... ...in an adjoining town to see her dog. I immediately fell in love with Pookie. He had an adorable face, huge black eyes... ...cupid-shaped mouth and a pug nose... Pookie had a good set of lungs, which became evident upon meeting him. But at the same time, his tail wagged feverishly, and his body did a dance that would compete with a Beyoncé video. After that visit, Pookie was mine. His former owner and I worked out the details, and I picked up Pookie several days later. My new dog came with his feeding dish, leash, a yellow tennis ball, and a green frog that must have squeaked at one time. The plastic frog lasted for a couple more years. Pookie's intense chewing split it, and one day I caught my dog eating the plastic. When I took the frog away from Pookie, I kept it in the cabinet for a while, lest he would be upset over his loss. Pookie didn't seem to notice. His former owner called me a couple weeks into my dog's new home. The woman told me her children were upset that she had given Pookie away. This was a tough decision, but I chose to keep Pookie. My dog loved the outdoors, and when I took him for a walk, he would strut his stuff. People we met during our pilgrimage would admire him, and he would bask in the attention. He often stopped during the walks and would lie down, not budging until he was ready. At 10 pounds, I could pick him up and carry him. Shih tzus do have short legs, after all. I always knew when my dog was going to do his business because he started walking on the curb. He fell off occasionally. I have to admit I did smile when that happened. A couple of years after my husband passed, I sold my house and bought a condo. There were so many changes for me at that time, I was looking for a job, and since I had been taking care of my husband for years, I found the task daunting. Then there was the packing and the chore of discarding, since I would be in a smaller place. When I moved to my condo with Pookie, I was too busy finding items in the boxes that would carry me into the next day, such as sheets and blankets, to notice how my dog was doing— Many boxes filled the second bedroom, and I wondered where I was going to put my treasures. After an exhausting day, Pookie and I retired for the evening. My dog always slept at the bottom of the bed, but this night he came right up to the pillow next to mine and curled up. I put my hand on his back for reassurance and wished somebody would comfort me. That night in my new place, I questioned if selling my house had been a good idea and if ten rooms could possibly fit into five. But most of all, I ate for my husband, whose head for 25 years had been on the pillow where Pookie lay. It was then I thought of the yellow ball and the plastic frog Pookie had brought to our house that first day. When I put on his leash, when I fed him, when he chewed through that plastic frog, the smells from the familiar comforted him in his new surroundings. Leo had adored Pookie. Perhaps my dog had settled himself on my husband's pillow for the same reason. I hadn't thought much about what the change of environment would do to Pookie. As I looked at him that first night in my condo, Feeling his pain as I felt mine, I realized then this dog was my plastic frog. I drifted off to sleep with new resolve, my hands still on Pookie's back. When I awakened the next day, Pookie did not budge. Oh no, I thought I killed him with the move. But after feeling his belly, I knew he was still breathing, just wasn't ready to get up. Eventually, I heard Pookie jump off the bed, and he joined me at breakfast. The rest of the day, he and I proceeded to get acquainted with our new home. The reaction of my neighbors to Pookie was overwhelmingly positive, with condo owners patting and talking to him, giving him treats, all with my approval, of course. Pookie loved to chase his yellow ball and bring it back to me, but I soon learned that one didn't take it from his mouth because Pookie would growl. Instead, you waited until he dropped the ball in front of you. Then you were permitted to pick it up and throw it again. Statistics tell us that people are happier and live longer having a pet. You won't get any argument from me. Pookie and I lived in harmony for many years. I was his caregiver as I had been my husband's. One day, Pookie didn't appear to be himself. I took him to the vet, who told me Pookie's 15-year-old heart was tired. He gave my dog two weeks. Pookie, however, lasted three. That final day, he wouldn't take his heart pills and just lay on the floor, his face between his paws. I called the vet. He said it was my dog's time. It was Saturday, and the vet's office was open half a day. He told me to bring Pookie just before the office closed. I called my children to give them the news, for they loved the dog, too. My daughter came up to drive me to the vet's with Pookie. I didn't ask her. She wanted to comfort me and be with me. At the vet's, Pookie had two injections, and the doctor told me the dog's breathing was labored and it would only be a few minutes. I leaned over my companion and said, thank you for being my dog. Afterward, the vet said Pookie was lucky to have had me as his mother. Funny, I would have said the reverse. Back at the condo, there were tears in my neighbor's eyes when she knew Pookie was gone. A woman who lived next to me who I had differences with the same. Loved the dog, not the neighbor. I had Pookie cremated, and his ashes are on my mantle along with his leash. Yes, my husband was right. Pookie was the best of the breed.
5: Very good.
6: I
7: tears in my eyes when I was reading that.
6: We need, we need Kleenex after that.
7: <laughs> he was he was really something. But I have 16-year-old dog, Jim, who I'll be writing about, I'm sure.
5: Oh, pets become part of the family. They really do. Um, our next reader is Carol Belcher. Hi, my story is about a haircut.
8: My friend has been without her car for two months now. I offer to take her places, but she always says she's gonna have her car the next day. Her son has promised to repair it. Well, so far tomorrow hasn't come. She is absolutely dying for a haircut. She has beautiful thick hair and she wears it very short. Right now, it is long enough to drive her nuts. She goes to a hairdresser who works three days a week, and you have to call the morning of the day you want your appointment. She has tried that twice when I could take her, but couldn't get in. So I say every day that she works, call her, or bite the bullet and see somebody else. Isn't it funny how we get so used to our hairdresser? We feel they know just how we want it done. No one else can do it like she can. We probably defeat ourselves when it comes to making appointments, although I have been pretty lucky. Mine seems to always fit me in sometime that day. Anyway, my friend's car is now in the shop and is being fixed. She says she hopes she can afford a haircut after she pays the bill for the car. I say, even if you have to give up eating for a day or two, get your damn hair cut.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, we all have our priorities, don't we? Yes.
8: <laughs>
5: a wonderful, tale, But we do hang on to those that cut our oh. hair. And our next reader is
1: Clarice Cogill. And February is known as the month for Valentine's. So this is a Valentine's poem for everybody. It's called Longing for Love. Look at me. Speak to me. Tell me you love me. I need you now more than you know. I'll smile and say, I love you too. It's really true. I love you. You know I do. I don't want emails. I don't want tweets. And don't text me. Look in my eyes, then I will sigh. Technical gadgets get in the way, not good for today. They keep us apart, just listen to your heart. Hold my hand, speak to me. Be open, be free. Share your thoughts, release those knots. Free to share and care and be together. We love each other, our hearts tell us so. That's all we need to know.
0: That gets a bingo. Very nicely done. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you my,
5: very nice. My, my, my we always write such beautiful poems. Oh, beautiful! <laughs> and our next reader is Kathy Salzberg.
6: This story today also has a little of the flavor of Valentine's Day, and it's also from my former career as a pet groomer. It's entitled, Leashes and Lonely Hearts. Just like they do with their human hairstylist, sometimes our clients unload their innermost secrets upon their pet groomer. How their brother-in-law just came out of the closet and started borrowing their clothes. How they found out their mate had been surfing the married-but-looking chat room. How their pet is their significant other. Mindy Marshall was one of these, a 30-something graphic artist whose bulldog, Harvey, was a frequent customer at my shop, mainly because science has yet to develop a good deodorant for dogs. Underarm, underbelly, wrinkly jowls, and funky fanny, Harvey needed right for Rover all over. And he needed it yesterday. I was crazy about him in spite of his doggy odor, and his owner was a sweet person who had just not found Mr. Right. Just Mr. Wrong and a couple of Mr. Right Nows. Summer was approaching, and Mindy was lonely. Her most recent romance with a computer programmer named Wilbur had ended when she found out the new laptop he was spending so much time with wasn't a computer. Her constant scanning of the personal ads was leading nowhere. I'm gainfully employed and have all my own hair and teeth, bragged one budding Romeo. Terrific, she thought, as she slathered cream cheese on her bagel and offered a bite to Harvey. The next ad looked intriguing. Handsome, successful entrepreneur, mid-forties, still searching for my soulmate, it read. After dialing his number and finding out he drove an ice cream truck and still lived at home with his mother, Her interest waned. This one sounded promising. Attractive professional, great cook, loves rollerblading, skiing, scuba diving, art films, deep conversations, and romantic walks on the beach. Mindy got excited, especially about the beach part, until she read the rest. Children okay, but no pets, please. She wiped Harvey's spittle from her jeans and sighed. I told her the grocery store might be a good place to meet a mate, but she said she had tried that. The last time she visited the produce section, the clerk gave her funny looks as she hung around pinching the melons. The only one who had spoken to her was an elderly woman who informed her, "'Those cantaloupes are overpriced, dear. You should have been here last week when they were on sale.'" She signed up for a night course to help learn the rules of football, but the instructor politely asked her to leave when her snoring distracted the other <laughs> class participants. <laughs> that's it, she had sniffled as she drove home. If I never get invited to another Super Bowl party, that's just fine with me. I never like buffalo wings anyway. Maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree, she said. Maybe I should try to meet another dog lover at least would have one thing in common. Her search began at a dog show, but when she sidled up to a Tweety type who was showing his borzoi, his snooty attitude rebuffed her. She thought she caught a wink from a poodle handler who was as handsome as a movie star, but soon realized it was intended for the guy standing behind her. When she dropped in at the dog obedience school, the most attractive man on the premises was a muscular blonde named Helmut, but somehow she couldn't bring herself to sign Harvey up for his course in schutzen training. A visit to the vet was no less successful. Harvey got into a fight in the waiting room with a great-looking guy's wire fox terrier. I'll pay for that, she said weakly as the vet tech bandaged the little yipper's ear. Bring your dog in, said the sign in the pet supply store window. It was full of men without women when she stopped by one Saturday morning. Like a private eye, Mindy followed a neat-looking guy, but thought better of it when she saw his eyes glowing with pleasure as he fondled the spiked collars. Before she could pick another prospect, Mindy was asked to leave after Harvey lifted his leg on the cat feather toy display. He has no manners, she told me with a sad smile. I thought we'd better stick to the great outdoors. Armed with a bag of granola, some liver treats, a canteen, and a reluctant Harvey, she hit the trail at a popular state park, eagerly scoping the terrain for suitable suitors. Except for a gaggle of Girl Scouts, the place was deserted. A quarter mile into the hike, Harvey was panting profusely and Mindy was picking ticks off her socks. After she carried him bodily back to her car, the exhausted pair went home to take a long nap. Her luck was no better when she and Harvey tried participating in field trials. The dummy, the dummy, she screamed as Harvey ignored her command to fetch, lying down to rub himself in the dirt. You should really be ashamed of your attitude said the woman who was stewarding. Name-calling is not the way to motivate an animal. No wonder your dog doesn't respond. A week later at the park, Mindy sailed Harvey's frisbee in the direction of a smiling Fabio lookalike. Unfortunately, she got stuck with a sizable dental bill when a sudden gust of wind propelled the disc directly into the man's gleaming porcelain crowns. <laughs> the heck with these trophy types, she thought, as she and Harvey headed for a coffee house where an intense-looking poet was taking the mic for a poetry slam. His imagery was a bit hard to follow, but that's not what made the audience lose interest. This really stinks, shouted one disgusted de- devotee. Harvey's attack of fat- flatulence had cleared the room before the guy began the second stanza. I give up, thought Mindy. I'm going down to the shelter to adopt another dog. At least Harvey will have a pal, and it will be somebody new for me to love. The heart-rending barks of desolate dogs echoed through the cavernous building as Mindy and Harvey entered. Most prospective adoptees looked too large and rambunctious for her, but in a crate far in the back, Mindy spotted a terrier cross with the saddest eyes she had ever seen. She knelt before its wire enclosure and spoke gently as the adorable mongrel nuzzled her hand. Harvey whimpered approvingly and stuck his tongue through the chain-link fence. At that moment, the long-haired man in a worn leather jacket walked up, accompanied by a shelter worker. I want this one, he said, pointing to the Benji clone. We just got her yesterday, said the worker. We haven't even had time to give her a name. But I was going to take her, protested Mindy as the attendant opened the gate. The man took off his bandana to tie it lovingly around the dog's neck. Maybe we should let the dog decide, said the puzzled worker. Okay, Little Miss No Name, which one of these folks do you want to take you home? The mutt whined and flopped down on the cement, resting her face on her shaggy paws. Obviously, she can't decide, laughed the man. Let's take her out for a walk. Maybe then she can make up her mind. As the sun went down over the hills behind the shelter, Mindy and her new friend Mike were still sitting on a bench, smiling and chatting away as Harvey and his new pal romped in the grass. The little mutt liked both Mindy and Mike well enough, but the object of her affection was clearly the barrel-chested bulldog. These days, on any given Sunday, you'll find Mindy and Mike walking on the beach or playing in the park. If they're not tossing a tennis ball, they'll be holding hands, an obviously happy couple with their two dogs, a chubby bulldog named Harvey and a shaggy little girl who finally got a name. Mindy was beaming when she told me their choice. It had to be Kismet. Oh, Kismet.
5: So cute. Always a story for a laugh. Oh, nice! And, we,
0: and we've all known a Harvey somewhere. <laughs> right?
5: Our next reader is Bill Wiley.
3: This is a poem I wrote called Life Goes On. It seems that life goes on. My large family are mostly gone. A sister and a brother are left. Mom and dad had a lovely love nest. It was known between all of us. Our love for each other we trust. Memories fill my mind. You can't go back in time. Photographs of them abound. I wish that they were around. 23 years, my mom and dad are gone. I miss them, but life goes on. I took care of others in my past, but found sweet love at last. Dear friends that I have that are close, the things I love the most. Warm love in my heart I have found. It's love that keeps me around. The best thing in life is love, sent from heaven above.
5: Very
3: important. Very nice. I was, yeah. I was good. told it was it's pretty good. Nice yeah. very
8: and
5: I have one also sort of dedicated to the word love. It is now February, and we celebrate love on Valentine's Day. We buy candy, flowers, and cards for our spouses, partners, and family. We show our love to children, grandchildren, parents, and siblings. However, do we show love to our country, nationality, customs we grew up with, all what about God, and how we show love for religion and our faith? We also have love for friends who help us along the way, and don't forget our pets who have become part of our families and lives. There is also the love of art, music, dance, books, and culture with knowledge. We can also love sports and entertainment, such as theater and movies. The one love we need in order to love everything else is the love of self. If you cannot love yourself, you cannot love anything else. So during this month of February, let us celebrate love in its many forms, not just the one day, but all month long, and maybe we can make a world of difference.
0: A true thing.
5: It wasn't the love
0: story, but it was about about love. So who, so Sue, who's up now? Oh, wait, me. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. I'm going to talk about a thing, a thing that perhaps we all take for granted these days, but uh, a thing that has become, I think, important to all of us going to talk about Wikipedia. Wikipedia is the wisdom of crowds writ large. How can I describe it? It's, um, it's the most internety thing on the internet. It was also forged from the earliest vision of what would eventually become the internet by Bush family patriarch Vannevar Bush in 1945. Vannevar never would know the Internet. He died well before the World Wide Web existed. Yet many consider Bush to be the godfather of our wired age, often referencing his 1945 essay, As We May Think. In his article, Bush described a theoretical machine he called a memex, which would enhance human memory by allowing the user to store and retrieve documents linked by logical associations. This associative linking was very similar to what we know today as hypertext. Bush's innovative idea for automating human memory and linked information was central to the development of the Internet. Enter James Jimbo Wales. Jimbo is the founder of Wikipedia. If you ever researched something on the Internet, No matter how obscure, esoteric, if you ever had that weird question that nobody could readily answer, you just typed a query into Google. Et voila! Answers. Lots of links and answers. Yes, we think Google, but we get Wikipedia most often at the top of Google's front page. Google as a search engine, brand, and commercial enterprise is so successful, we use it as a verb. We don't say did you wikipedia that. It doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. However, perhaps we should. Wikipedia deserves verb status in our lexicon. Don't get me wrong, Google earned and deserves their success. But they are in the end a commercial enterprise. They monetize and profit greatly from our queries. Wikipedia does not. As a non-profit organization, they survive on donations. Those donations can be either money Which they need, or editorial contributions. Yes, if you have some expertise or knowledge about something, you can actually write and edit information directly into Wikipedia, hence, the wisdom of crowds. This is another form of shared citizen access to knowledge, public knowledge. Years ago, Google was interested in acquiring Wikipedia, however, Jimbo did not want Wikipedia to become yet another commercial enterprise. Wikipedia is the product of the public, and thus all that information is freely available for the public to use under what is known as a general, non-exclusive, universal license, a GNU license. Wikipedia made Vannevar's early Memex concept a reality. Memex, an idea that was way, way out there. And Wikipedia... A big concept, also way out there. Whatever you need to know, it's also out there. for free, on the Internet. Thanks Jimmy. Yes, Do you have a story to tell? We'd love to hear it. If you would like to join our senior center writers, just call the Senior Center 5204945. For all of our writers today...
6: I'm Sue Wade. Bill Wiley. Kathy Salzburg.
0: Clarice Cargill. Carol
6: Belcher. I'm Alice Judge.
0: Coach Joe Ewald. Faith Larity. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Again, for all of our writers, I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaningful experiences of life become a little larger when you share them when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR.